Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. And go ahead and be turning on your device or in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah chapter 2. It is great to be with you. Uh, Julie and I had a glorious uh, trip to Colorado, and we are home, uh, got home Friday night, actually early, fr- early, uh, early Friday morning, and let me tell you, humidity is a wonderful thing. If you've lived in a dry climate or visited a dry climate, man, it's really dry, and it just makes your, well, let's not share the grossness of it, but uh, it's, it's really great to be back and to know humidity and to know warmth. We had a great time in the mountains. Uh, 9,000 feet above sea level is a long way up, and uh, um, John, our son, and I, we shredded Breckenridge, so if you've ever been to Colorado, you can imagine what a great skier I must be, but uh, it was fabulous to be out there, but it's great to be back among you. I, I, uh, I treasure our time together, I treasure being with you, being able to open God, up God's Word and to share the gloriousness of it as um, he wants us uh, to experience him through his word. We're in a series in Nehemiah called The Rebuilder. As Nehemiah builds or rebuilds the city of Jerusalem, he builds the city walls. And it's an amazing story of how God brings his city back into glory through this leader, Nehemiah. And it's apropos for where we are, right, as a church. As we come back from COVID, we're rebuilding the church. And we're rebuilding the structures so that it can be a glorious church. So Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we'll be reading here in just a moment. Um, It's amazing. Some people have the ability to ask the hard questions. They They just do that, right? It doesn't bother them to do that. I remember when our kids were young and we were living in Kentucky and We'd go, to, we'd go to church, and before church, Julie, being diligent as she is, she would make a nice meal and put it in a crock pot, right, and have it cooking uh, during lunch. And some of you probably did that today even, maybe. Uh, but you put it in there, and four hours later, shazam, it's amazing, right? And after church, though, at times, we would get in the van, and I would hear our three kids in the back, and something was going down, you know? Something was happening. And the older two were instigating the younger to ask the question, Dad, um, and Johnny would always ask the question because he doesn't care. He doesn't ask any question at any time. He's one of those people. Can we go out to lunch? All our friends are going to Fazoli's, this, this, this little Italian place, and, and it would be so great if we could go with them to lunch. And uh, I would say, well, your mother has already prepared lunch. Oh, really? What is it? Well, it's chicken and, and uh, uh, carrots and potatoes, and it's in the crock pot. And so we're going to go home and have lunch. And you know what the kids would say at that moment? Crock pot! <laughs> Not crock pot! And they would say it like it was horrible, like it was porridge or something awful, you know. It's like, this is terrible. We want to go have lunch with our friends. It's going to be glorious and fantastic. Good night, crock pot. So in our house, if you get the crock pot out, it's just like, it doesn't matter what you put in. 
But some people can make that quite, why does he ask the question? Because he wants it to be the greatest thing ever. He wants to have the greatest time ever. That's why you sometimes ask the hard questions. Remember when I was uh, preparing to propose to Julie, I'm thinking, okay, now have I done all the work? Have I got, have I read the signs right? Right, guys? You know, because if you ask someone to marry you and they say no, that's pretty much it for the relationship, right? There's no coming back from that. You can't reel that back in and go, I was just kidding, let's just continue to date, right? Um, that's pretty much it. You know, you get to that point where you're like, all right, I've got to do this. And, and why do you do that? You do it because you want to marry this woman. You want this to be a glorious relationship. And it has been 35 years. Praise God, she said yes. Next to Buffalo Bayou at Rainbow Lodge. And a gazebo on one knee with a, a ring that I saved for 10 years for, maybe a couple of months. Um, why? Because I was looking, I wanted to make that, you're going to make that, that you're going to go through that moment of truth because you want to see something amazing happen. And that's what Jesus is thinking as he prays in John chapter 17, as he prepares to do the unthinkable. Go to the cross to bear my sin and yours, to pay for that. He goes to the cross, and he goes to the cross thinking of you, thinking of you. Look at John chapter 17, just as an aside, verse 20. It's on the screen, I think, yeah. Here's Jesus getting ready to do this thing. And he's thinking of you. John 17, 20 says, I do not ask for these only, referring to his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for you. For those who would believe through the words of the disciples who would essentially write the New Testament. I, I'm gonna, I want the, for those who believe through, through them. This is Jesus praying for you. How cool is that? Verse 21, that they may all be one that they may be a body, a unit, that they may function as one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. In other words, that the Spirit would fill them so that, why? So that they can hang out and drink coffee? So that they can just enjoy one another? No, what? So the world can know that you have sent me. See, that's why we exist as a church, because we want the world to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We want the world to know who Jesus is. That's why we exist. Oh, I love that. That's why the very simple mission statement of our church is to make Jesus known. That's what we desire to do. That's what we're passionate about doing. So Jesus comes to this moment of truth before the cross, and he's praying for us to be one. For us to be able to demonstrate who he is, to be filled with him to this world that we are in. It's a moment of truth to take the step that's going to allow us to be one. Nehemiah comes to this similar place in preparation for Jesus. Last week, Greg delivered a sermon on chapter 1, and he talked about the reality that, that Nehemiah saw the state of the city of Jerusalem, that though worship had been reinstated, the city itself was in tatters. The gates were torn down. 
It was vulnerable. It wasn't this beautiful display of who God is, which is what it was designed to be, which is who God, God's people were supposed to be. Rather, it was a place of worship, but it was a place that was just really vulnerable and kind of an embarrassment in a lot of ways. Wasn't able to do what God had made his people do. And Nehemiah gets, gets upset about this. As a matter of fact, he starts to weep, and he, he realizes that the mission of God could be lost. You ever thought about the church in that way? That's why what we do is so important. See, we are the instrument of God to deliver Jesus to the world. That's why it's so important. And Nehemiah gets passionate about this, and he weeps, and he prays, and he prays with a sense of urgency that something has got to happen. Have you been there? What brings you to that sense of urgency? That I've got to do something about this. You know, an example, this happened to me on our trip uh, last week. I, I know how much fun it is to go through security, amen? Just love that process. You know, you go through, you, you give the man your license. He looks at you, he gives it back. You take everything out of your pockets and everything, all your tablets and computers out. and all you, I have about three bins to get through security, you know, I don't know why, but your wallet, all your stuff goes on these bins. And, and, and then you take your belt off and then your shoes off and you're embarrassed you have holes in your socks and, you know. Um, and you put the stuff and you push it through that magic machine that I don't know really what happens in there, but they see everything that you've packed or whatever to see if you've got any large knives or stuff like that or uh, water bottles. And it goes through and it comes out the other side. Then you gather all your stuff. You put it back in your pockets. You sit down on your bench. And then for us, our routine is you hit the restroom, you get a bottle of water, and then you go to your gate. So I did all that. But as I'm going to the gate, I thought, I'm not sure I have my license. I'm not sure I have my driver's license, which I'm going on a trip, so I've got to get on a plane. And when I get there, I'm renting a car. I need a license for that. I'm going to rent some other stuff while I'm on this. This is a disaster. I don't have a license, so I started to look, and we took my carry-on, my computer bag, and we dumped it out on the floor. I mean, literally, just dumped everything out on the floor, and we just was pawing through this stuff, going through all the little pockets, you know, of your little carry-on. You got all these little pockets, and there's no license. Oh no! And you know what I did? I just went on with my day. I just forgot about it. No, big no, I didn't. This is a disaster. The whole mission is going to be lost. So I went up to the security. I crawled on the floor. I crawled on all fours underneath that conveyor belt. There's all kinds of stuff under there, interesting stuff under there, incidentally. Found all kinds of stuff, but not a license. I asked everybody that was working there, no, sir, we don't have your license. I asked the super, I don't have your license. Went back to my bag, went through all my stuff again on the floor. People really thought I was crazy. I went back a second time to security. I asked everybody. I asked the guy who takes your license, who looks at it. I said, hey, did, did you give me my license back, or are you just holding it up here somewhere and just playing with me? He goes, no, I gave it back to you. At this point, I'm pretty depressed. I'm saying, you know, God, I just wanted to have a vacation and rest and have a good time, and now I have no license. I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be a disaster. And um, then I saw the guy who checks your license, he was on break or something, he's walking through the gate area, through the concourse, and I went up to him, I said, anything, any other ideas? He said, I don't have my license. And he looked at me and he said this, have you checked your shoes? You mean you think it's in my shoe? Like I couldn't feel that, right? 
I don't wear that thick of socks, you know. I'm thinking, and I said, well, I guess. And so I took my right shoe off. No license, of course. Took my left shoe off. Magically, there's a license in there. <laughs> Life could go on. The mission could continue. I had my license. It was the greatest thing ever. I handed the man a thousand. No, I didn't. I just said, thank you, bless you. And he just walked. It's amazing. I had it all the time. Here's the thing about life and our sense of urgency. I mean, shouldn't we be even more urgent about the mission of Christ? Because if the mission of Christ fails, if the church fails, people don't go to heaven. It's a disaster. And the amazing thing is we already have what it takes in Christ. We just have to find it and use it. We just have to have a sense of urgency about what God has called us to do. And that's what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 1 ends with a statement. It's very interesting. He talks about all the passion and all the tears and all the prayer, and he closes the chapter with this. It says, now I was the cupbearer to the king. I'm passionate about what God, I'm upset, I'm praying, I'm cupbearer to the king. What he's saying is this was my role, this was my job, this is, I had an important role, and he wants us to know that because it's going to come into play. You see, when God points out a need, when he invites us to join him, it's important to know what we already have and where we already are. Because at this time, Nehemiah says, I'm the cupbearer to the king. You may say, well, what is that? What's the cupbearer to the king? Well, how many of you have seen Downton Abbey? Anybody? No one? Okay, let's go on a different illustration. Um, Carson, Mr. Carson is the chief butler. And that's essentially what a cupbearer would be in the king's household. He would be in charge of, he would be the top guy of the household. And he would be in charge of the household, but he would minister directly to the king by tasting his wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. He's like the canary in the coal mine, right? It's, it's the one that senses the problem before the king so that the king doesn't drink the wine and be assassinated. He would have been somebody of some level of respect, possibly even had influence on the king, but he certainly would have known the king personally. Interesting passionate about God's plan, and he has access to the king of the known world at the time. I was cupbearer to the king. Always remember, God wants to use you specifically. And a lot of times, he has already prepared you by putting you in a place of influence. So as we're looking at this today, consider what is my place of influence? And how can I use that in order to carry out the mission of God? Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 says this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Interesting first verse of the chapter. He says, in the month of Nisan, which was four months from the time that he originally got the news of the state of Jerusalem. Four months. So during those four months, Nehemiah has been praying and preparing for this moment. 
It's like when you prepare for the moment you're going to ask her to marry you, you get ready, you make sure you have all your ducks in a row, and you present yourself and you're ready to go. It's the moment of truth. For four months, he had been praying and been preparing. And during those four months, God had given him the vision to say, I want you to be the one to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. It didn't just dawn on him as he's talking to the king. It was a four-month process that God led him to the place was this is your role. Oh, by the way, you're not an architect. You're not a builder. You probably can lead some household staff pretty well, but you've never done this. See, God often calls us to things we've never done. He often calls us to a place that's going to be uncomfortable, a place that's going to take some risk. He calls us to do amazing things through him and in his kingdom that will require us to depend completely on him. And this is what's happening in Nehemiah's life at this time. And then he says, I love the line, I had never been sad in his presence. You know, to serve the king, to serve him his wine, to help serve him his dinner, you can't really go around being sad. You're looking for someone who's going to be up. I mean, when you go to eat at a nice restaurant, you don't want to go in and have the server say, hey, having a really rotten day. This is bad. Do you all want something to eat or what? You know? You can't do that, right? If you're a server, you got to be, hey, glad to have you today. My name's Steve. Listen, let me tell you about all of our specials. They're wonderful, terrific, and fantastic. I really like this one, right? You want to have someone who's happy and fun, right? Because if they're not, you're like, man, I'm not tipping this person at all. Well, I should. Maybe they need to tip them a lot because they're just really sad. Maybe make them happy. I don't know. He's got to be happy. And, and he says, I've not been sad in the king's presence. So Nehemiah, probably already a fun guy, but it's been four months and he has been very inwardly troubled, but he's covered it. He's shown up to be happy before the king. But now he's about to be sad. And this is a dangerous move because really a job description is you need to be happy. You need to be up. You need to be joyful. He says, I've not been sad before the king, verse 2. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? So he had to be happy all the time if he noticed the one time he wasn't, right? Why is your face sad, seeing that you, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Okay, it's game on. It's game on. He's noticed that I'm sad. So that might mean that he might get rid of me. I'm going to have to be honest with him. I'm going to have to come up with an answer. I've never been sad in his presence. He notices that I'm sad. What's going to happen now? I'm very much afraid. It just tells you the gravity of this situation. This is bigger than any ask you would ever make in your business. Bigger than any relationship ask you would make. And it's a very serious moment in the life of Nehemiah. And it says in verse uh, 3, he said, I said to the king, let the king live forever. This was a normal way you would address the king. Um, 
Why should my face, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? This is Nehemiah's description of the state of the city of Jerusalem. The place of my father's graves. What my people have been meant to do. It's in tatters. My, for us, it would be like your family name is being lost and destroyed. For him, it's, he's talking about his, his nation of origin is really about to go out of existence and become extinct. Why should I not be sad about that? Verse 4, And the king said to me, What are you, what are you requesting? So what do you want to do about it, Nehemiah? And I love this. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Don't you love that? He didn't just go right into it. He says, no, I, I prayed to the God of heaven. Have you done that? All right. This is about to happen. I'm going to pray. Even if it's just for one little brief prayer, God, help me. God, give me your words. It's the moment of truth. It's like being at the top of a mountain with snow skis on, having not skied in a few years and thinking, is this a good idea? Maybe I should pray. And that's a silly example, but do you pray at those times? There's a key conversation about to happen. You know it needs to happen, and the time comes for you to have that conversation. God, give me your words. Those little prayers are great, but they're really only great if you've already prayed for four months, and that's your life of prayer about this, right? God, give me your words. Let me say the right thing. I love it. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Verse 5, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. There it is. Would you send me to rebuild this city? If it pleases you, I, I want to rebuild this place, this place of my fathers, this place of my people, this place of worship. I, would you send me to do that? Would you give me that assignment? He's asking a pagan king to go do the work of God. I was in, most of you know, I was in business and sales for 17 years. And um, I don't know, but sometimes I didn't have the best review. Did you ever have, don't raise your hand, but did you ever have a, not a really good review from your boss? Uh, didn't go well. And maybe they sit you down and they say, you know, I've looked at your numbers and, uh, you know, what's going on? Uh, here's some things you need to do, and you need to hit this number. And um, none of you have probably ever been there, but that happened to me one time. Um, and I said, he, he said to me, don't you and your wife like to do a lot of ministry kind of stuff with your church? Because I was pretty close to him. I, I said, yeah, here's some of the stuff we've been doing. And he looks at me and he goes, why don't you just do that? Why don't you quit this job and do what you love to do? Because that's obviously what you're excited about. Man, what a statement. Because he loved what he did. He loved it. I mean, it was his passion. And I was like, this is just a job. It's a good job. I like it. I'm glad to get, have this opportunity. He said, why don't you just do that? And I thought, well, I don't know if I could make a living doing that. And I thought, man, I don't know, that's a big change. I'm already, I'm, maybe when I retire, I mean, and that didn't really work on me. Because here's a man, not a follower of Christ, thinking this is what you're passionate about. Why don't you go do that? 
And that's what the king was saying. Verse 6. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, which indicates this is probably a pretty intimate setting. If it was some kind of a royal, special kind of a feast kind of thing, she would not generally be sitting there. But it's probably more of a personal, maybe even a private setting. How long will you be gone, and when will you return? This was his answer, yes, I I will send you to do that. How long will it take? Have you thought this through? Do you have a plan? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him the time. Verse 7. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the uh, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and the house that I shall occupy. Let me pause there. You see, Nehemiah had this all thought out. This is what I will need. I'll need permission to pass through these other places. I'll need supplies. This is what I'll need. He's thought it through. And he presents to the king his plan. Four months. He prepared, he prayed, he answered the call, and he presented it to the king. And the king granted me what I asked. And get this, for the good hand of my God was upon me. I didn't have the opportunity because I was a brilliant orator because I had a great plan, because I was somebody special, because I was the the good hand of God was on me. You see, church, I, I believe the good hand of God is on us. And I believe that he wants to rebuild his church to be something amazing, to be something incredible, to not just be a place where people come and huddle in sanctuary from a very difficult climate and a very difficult culture, but to be a place where people can know Jesus, to be a place where people can come and find truth, where be a place where people can come and find the love of God and a future and a hope and a purpose. See, our mission as a church is to make Jesus known. We make him known by loving God and by building and by loving others. And we love God, we love Jesus through worship. We love God, we, we worship through, the, through creativity, through preaching, through prayer, through serving others. So many people have stepped up and are serving now, been a part of our church, and there's so many opportunities for us to do that. We need to be a shining star of worship where we come together and bring Jesus' incredible glory. And we love people by building friendships through family, through life groups, through intentional relationships in the community. This is who we must be if we're going to fulfill what Jesus died to do through us. And some people might say, well, you know, I thought really the church was here to meet my needs. And that's a good question. There are needs at the church, absolutely, we want you to know the fulfillment of being saved by Jesus Christ. That's certainly a part of it, but really, you are fulfilled and your needs are met as you become a part of the body and find your place and find your role and begin to help other people become followers of Jesus Christ. That's how the body has to function. That's what we're passionate about. That's why we do what we do. 
So my question today is, are you going to be a butler or are you going to be a builder? Nothing wrong with being a butler, fulfilling your place in society, doing exactly what, what you have to do, being faithful in your work, being faithful in your family, in your community. But what if God's calling you to be a builder, a rebuilder? to be a part of making this church exactly what Jesus wants it to be? What if there's a moment of truth coming where you're going to have to leverage who you are and what you are for the kingdom of God, for the church? Where you're going to have to take a step that's going to be a little bit risky, that's going to kind of put it all on the line in order that this church can be what it needs to be that we can be effective in worshiping Jesus and building friendships with our community. And you may say, well, why? Two reasons. One, because we something must be done. As you look around in our culture today, it's darker and darker and darker. And there's challenges that hit every family that are unprecedented, really, Big challenges. And the world is looking for a place and needs to have a place where they can see the God of the universe manifested. Where people can come together in joy because Jesus has saved them. Not because they're perfect. Because there's something wrong with almost all of us. Actually, there's something wrong with all of us. But we live as repentant people. Saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. The world is crying out for truth, for the love of Christ, for the grace of Jesus Christ. This needs to be the place they can find it. There's so many other voices. There's so many other demands. Everyone has an opinion. We need to be the place where everyone can know Jesus, the one who came to save us. That's why we do this. And we do this because the hand of God is on us. We don't do it because we're brilliant, because we're incredibly smart or sharp. We do it because the hand of God is on us. It's the only reason we can be successful. Because the hand of God is on us. Would you like the hand of God to be on you? Would you like to be a part of that? See, that's our goal. Many of you are serving already. Some of you are not. Maybe God is calling you to a new role of service. We would love to help you get involved in a life group and help you be involved in serving on a weekly or biweekly or monthly basis to help this church be all that it can be. We would help, we'd be glad to sit with you. We have a process to help you determine, okay, where could I fit? What's my personality? What's my gifts? Uh, what things am I really good at? What do I like? How can I fit into this plan? We'd love for you to be a part of this. If you'd like to be a builder, like to be a part of things, we'd love for you to fill out one of our, our cards. You can go online at fbcdelray.com connect, or there's a card out at the Welcome Center. I'd love to talk with you about that. And just say simply, I want to be a builder. Put your name and phone number. I want to be a builder. I want to be a part. I don't know what that means. And I know when you give us your name and phone number, you may be thinking, well, you guys may overuse me. We'll do our best not to do that. We want to help you find the place that God uniquely wants to use you. For some of you, though, you may be saying, you know what, I, 
Steve, I, I don't know if I've come to the moment of truth when I've actually said yes to Jesus Christ. Has there been a time in your life when you said yes to the call of Jesus Christ saying, you need to repent of your sin? You need to agree with me that you are a sinner? It says in my word. And you ask for that forgiveness because 1 John 1 9 says that we confess our sins. He is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us. Would you just like to be forgiven? And know that before the Lord. That's the offer of Jesus. That's why Jesus is in the garden in John 17. That's why he's saying, I'm praying for those who will believe as a result of the words of these. You may be one of those people. Today is your moment of truth to say, Jesus, I, I want to repent of my sin. I want to receive your salvation. And I want to have your purpose in my life and your future with you in heaven. If that's you, today's your moment of truth. You can make that decision. You can be a part of building, of building the church, the people of God. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out, hope is here.